out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Esau. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the artist, writer and performer. It is the one and only Jill Smith, once known as Jill Bruce. Yes, because she was married to... Bruce Lacey, but um, and is well known in the East Anglian region for the performances and work she did at the fairs and festivals, Barsham, Albion, and all that malarkey. Anyway, she's also brought a book out recently, or had it republished, called The Gypsy Switch. It's available from her website, which I'll give you in the link below. But this is the interview, so after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Jill, it's over to you. No, I mean, I'm, I'm older than you. <laughs> um, I mean, my culture, because when I was at school um, in the 50s, um, like everybody was into Elvis and, and Cliff Richard and Tommy Steele, um, but I was into Laurence Olivier. <laughs> so my, my sort of cultural awakening was very much um, sort of Shakespeare in the theatre, and I wanted to go into the theatre and be an actress. Yes, that's much more civilised. <laughs> and, and were your parents, um, were they kind of encouraging on your sort of cultural... Well, my, both my parents died when I was two, and I was brought up by my mother's parents. And they were very against me when I said that I wanted to go into it. When I wanted to go to drama school, um, they were very against that. Um, so I had to sort of fight my way to get what I wanted to do myself. You know, yes. so I didn't really have any encouragement. <laughs> yeah, that's that is rather drastic. For I mean, child. my my mother had been an elocution teacher, and I was sent to elocution te- sort of classes when I was a child, but that it wasn't sort of considered as a first step to the theatre. No. And where <laughs> about... Just so you sort of speak proper. <laughs> yes, well, it's good. <clears throat> I probably mumbled too much. But anyway, so where did you grow up? Where was your childhood? Uh, North London. Right, so you were yeah, right there. Sort of North, North London suburb um, called, well, Winchmore Hill, near Southgate. <laughs> yes, that's right. And you're... Yes, I can't imagine having like, losing both parents at such a young age. Actually, that's quite, no. It was yeah. Because tr- I, I have no memory of them, you know, which is a bit sad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you got to that sort of magic age, which is fifteen, sixteen, did you leave school at that stage, or did you go on to college or drama school? No. Um, well, I was so desperate to go <laughs> going to drama school. Um, I mean, I left school when I was just coming up to sixteen. And um, I, I, I kind of wish now, in a way, that maybe I'd uh, sort of gone and done A-levels. Um, but um, and I just kept trying to get into drama schools. And I, I tried about five different ones. I tried rather three times, and I got in the third time. But, so I worked for two, two years, just went out into the, into the world, in London, you know, up in London. Yes. And uh, did all sorts of things, like being a a cinema usherette and working in a canteen and all things like that. Nice. But then I went to RADA. And that changed everything. Was this the early early 80s, early 60s? Yeah, so I would have gone to RADA about 60, 61, I think. 60, 61. So when you were there, kind of the 60s as we know it sort of started to develop. It was around 63, wasn't it, as Philip Larkin mentioned in one of his poems, uh, the first Beatles album and... um, 
various other cultural awakenings. Did you were you picking up on those kind of changes that were happening with the kind of the teenager and youth culture? Well, I I don't know because it's like my teenage self was, I say like the the you know when all my friends were into Elvis. <laughs> um, but yes, I I I mean I had my first child when I was nineteen, and I I sort of became mentally a bit older i mean it's like you know the beatles are my age and but i always at the time they felt like boys you know and they i felt like i was a sort of older so i kind of missed out on all that yes. um you know i was i just sort of you know, there's a lot of people i suppose out of london who for whom i mean the 60s the early 60s were still like the 50s for most people unless you were very in that sort of swinging london thing, yes i think I think I think that sort of was about twenty people who sort of had a very swinging time already. Sort of look. So by sixty seven, you probably had a, your first child, but that was also the summer of love, wasn't it? There was the in San, Fran, San Francisco in January. There was the sort of gathering of the tribes that had um, Timothy Leary, Ginsburg, um, Country Joe and the Fish, the Grateful Dead, and then in the UK there was the um, the fourteen hour Technicolor Dream at the Alley Pally with Pink Floyd and Arthur Brown and John yeah. Lennon. So what was sixty seven like? Were you sort of, had you finished Rider at then, or were you still? Oh yes, well I actually sort of left. I mean, I I, I didn't complete my. I left when I had my first child, um, and then I mean I wasn't really kind of part of any music life. I mean I then began my relationship with Bruce Lacey, and um, I mean by '67, no, by '67 I got two children, and then we we actually got married in 1967. So, I mean, all those years, I've been sort of um, going around, sort of doing, um, I got all the little bits on telly, you know, and I'd been um, I'd sort of going around with them and sort of doing comedy bits and things, but nothing that was very creative. Um, so I don't know, it was like all that was kind of going on, it was going on around me without, you know, I, <laughs> I wasn't kind of part of very much a part of all that that was going on. You know, it was what we saw Ellie. Yes, well, it would be hard with um, two small children in the in the sort of mid to late sixties, really, at that stage. So when we got to um, yes, as we as we trundled, had trundled through the sixties and got towards the end. I mean, it, it it sort of had. I think the peak was around sixty seven. 67, yeah, 68, wasn't it? And then, you know, the death of Brian Jones, then Hendrix, Morrison and Joplin all dying wasn't a good way. And then there was Altamont. It was, and Charles Manson and stuff like that. So did you, had you started doing any performance art at that stage? Because in, because I've, I've interviewed a few members in that San Francisco group called the Coquettes, Pam Tent and Fayette. Did you, were you picking up any of those kind of, things going on in um, far-off lands? Um, not really. <laughs> um, I was a very sort of individual. I suppose everything I've done has just been very personal. And, um, as I say, I, was, um, I mean, in, in at those sort of 60s, years, it was really as the 60s were coming into the 70s, was when, I mean, I was sort of, I had a creative personality that was very frustrated and um, when sort of working with Bruce Lee and the Alberts, it, it was I started to make costumes 
and I started towards the end. Well, it was as we were getting into the 70s. Um, we did one show at the Theatre Royal Stratford East um, called The Electric Element, and we all write our own parts. And I was beginning to get much more creative and create my own parts and create my own costumes. And then we went, well, then we then Bruce and I started to work just as, as a duo. Um, and that's when we got very creative. And we were, to begin with, we were doing um, like science fantasy shows that were um, multimedia and touring those. And and also as a family, um, we did we were like a community art group. And I, I was able to I was starting to get sort of creative doing things for some of the community art projects that we did. Um, but it was then when we worked as a, so it was like early 70s, um, mid 70s, um, then, we, we then got financed by the Arts Council of Great Britain, as it was then. So I was then very, you know, I was sort of, we were writing our shows together and I was doing all sorts of making costumes, um, you know, doing photography and um, promoting the things. Um, and then it was, it was, I can't remember, it, it must have been 19, was it 1970, 1976, when we were doing these sort of science fantasy shows, and somebody said to us, would you like to come and perform at the last Sparsham Fair in East Anglia? And suddenly we was like, how, what are we going to do um, without electricity? Because it was uh, non-electric, it was medieval. And um, I mean, we had been doing odd sort of performances that were slightly sort of comedic in sort of outdoor situations where we didn't have it, but they were just like small things and they were quite funny. Yes. Um, but I, it's like I'd been through a process of, I don't know, it was like the very beginnings, it was quite in the late 60s, just going, discovering that there were other stone circles and ancient sites in the country other than Stonehenge. And so, so I had some experiences like going on the train through Wiltshire once. I got this experience as though all my ancient ancestors were kind of rising up out of the land and saying, you know, we, we weren't primitive savages. You know, we had this amazing culture and it's kind of, you've got to, you know, you've got to tell the world that uh, that's what we were, you know. Yes. Um, but it was a sort of awakening of something. It was though I got a lot of old lost knowledge inside of myself. Um, that was kind of wakening up and reading a few things. There were some magazines called Man, Myth and Magic. And I don't know, I thought, oh, right, yes, yes. And it was like this whole thing inside me was kind of waking up. And so when we did the Barsham Fair, it was it was like Bruce used to make structures and things. And I was used to work out what we were actually going to do, like the ceremonies and the rituals. And um, it just sort of went on. And then when there were the Albion Fairs, that sort of became like our our main work. You know? Yes. Um, and did it... Um, so that, that Sorry, I was going to say, and did it yes, come together quite smoothly? Had to, you know, Because obviously you mentioned sort of, I don't know if you did actually, earth magic, and I know there was kind of that world of ley lines and sort of cosmic energy, and then there was, you know, Wilhelm Reich and Orgon energy. Was that things that you had already started picking up on, or were you, um, yes, were these things that you were discovering in the mid-70s? I think it was a very sort of personal discovery. Um, I mean, I was reading a few things, but um, and then we moved from London um, to this sort of what had been a small farm um, just outside Norwich, and um, I I just felt that there I was starting. I went through a massive 
sort of, I don't know, awakening of something, I, as though I was being taught something, like, by the earth, by the moon, by the trees, and it was just about the whole thing being one living entity. Um, so it wasn't really picking up on, you know, lots of other things. We, we did sort of, you know, got interested, I got interested in ley lines, um, but that was something that kind of, I don't know, it kind of, it was it was part of the the awakening, of the, the sense that the earth was alive, but then I sort of moved away from that, you know, yeah. after a bit. Yes, absolutely. And just, I just don't know if I, I got this right, but did you ever, in your sort of early years of performance, did you ever sort of bump into, I know I'm a bit obsessed with David Bowie, but did you ever bump, did he ever come to any of your shows or anything like that? That was just something that I, I don't know if I've heard that or that was just a dream I had, that he'd seen something. Because I know he was often around the... the Wait, kind of, can you say that again? Yes, David Bowie. Did he ever, you know, before he became Ziggy Stardust, did he ever sort of, did you ever sort of bump into him on your travels um, um, I think um, there was something we sort of did as a family outside the Serpentine Gallery. We just sort of lived as a family in a, a sort of room with one, the wall off, the front wall off. Um, and Saffron, my daughter, who was three at the time, she had her birthday party. And I think he saw that. And then there was, um, we made a film called The Lacey Rituals, but it was... Um, that was financed by the Arts Council. And when it had its premiere on the same bill um, was, oh, I can't remember his name, that who used to um, work with David Bowie. Was that um, Lindsay Kemp? The, the film was Flowers. Was it Flowers or the show was Flowers? What was his name? Lindsay Kemp? The, the... Yes. Yeah. Right, Lindsay, yes. So, um, so he was there. So David Bowie was there. Like when we were there, so we sort of we didn't kind of really meet him, but I think he kissed Saffron. <laughs> My God, that's amazing! Yeah. I wouldn't have yeah. washed afterwards. Um, <laughs> and that's more detail than you need. Uh, yeah, that's nice. So yes, so coming down, uh, coming coming up to East Anglia from London, and be in the mid seventies. I mean, obviously, because the Barsham Fair started in the early seventies. So this, I think, this was like their fifth or sixth one, wasn't there? From speaking to a lot of the organisers, I think they felt that this was going to be their. Ziggy Stardust moment, and we're going to give it, a, call it a day, really. So then, yeah. So had you planned uh, this this ritual that you were doing? Because there is a little clip of this on that uh, film, isn't there? Um, the last Barsham Fair. Um, yeah. And yeah. there's a little bit of a I talk mean, like, with you and Bruce on it, and and lots of smoke and lots of um, corn. Fertility right. was a big thing during this period, wasn't there? Alongside self sufficiency. Yeah, well, it's just one of the things. Yeah. Yes. Um, but lots of, I mean, the wonderful thing about the Albion fairs um, was that they all had a theme, you know, so that was a, a great inspiration. Um, I used to go into little, um, I don't know, just to go off and <laughs> into little, be on my own, you know, and sort of get, relate to, I think particularly when there was the moon fair, I thought it was the first time I really seriously got sort of connected to the moon. And just working out how we were going to celebrate the moon and water, and um, and then I was making then I was making loads and loads and loads of costumes. Um, so sort of costume making became very much my sort of art, and uh, I felt like you know they were my sculptures, and I, but I was in them. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that, yeah. And that, I, I, that was. Yeah. But, I was going to say I've come across a few people who. Um, yeah, I suppose their um, art, I mean, they were American, but they, they seem to be making costumes a lot and then sort of pouring 
some sort of fake blood over them. They were quite gruesome, really. But that's a whole that's that was L.A. for you. So with uh, <laughs> a slightly different scene that it wasn't very earth magic, but it was quite um, visual. So when when you did that sort of performance at the the uh, the last Barsham Fair, did that kind of give you and Bruce that kind of um, sort of platform to then become the yeah. the kind of the it couple a bit like you know david beckham yeah. and victoria really you know do, did you become kind of like celebrities on the scene <laughs> um possibly i mean you know we were we i think it was it was just it wasn't there that it was then the way it all developed over the next few years you know it was like from from the it was like oh this is what we've got to do you know we went back to london at that point and we were coming up from London, you know, to all the early Albion fairs. And then we moved. It was like when my grandmother died and left me enough money to buy somewhere in Norfolk. Um, right. And and then we and then we moved. And then we and that was very much our. I mean, we were doing a few other things, but they were all kind of related to what we were doing. This was our work then, you know. Yes, absolutely. Um, and did you? I have no idea. Did you have? You you mentioned I think three children. Did you? Was that three children, or did you have more at that stage? Sorry, can you say that again? You mentioned that you had three children in the sixties. I think. Yes. Did you? Was was that as many as you had, or did, were there more in the seventies? No, I, well, we had three. We had three children in the in the sixties. Well, I had with Bruce um, three children, but then, like in at the beginning of the eighties, then um, I then went off on my own. And in nineteen eighty four, I had my fourth child, who has travelled with me. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, Shared life with me. Yeah. Excellent. Quite a lot of years. Right. Okay. I I, I know that's um yeah. I just kind of sometimes you get I, yeah. I know there was a family in Metfield down in Suffolk who um James and Jackie Fernley. Um, I remember them moving into the village and they were into sort of natural birth control and. Quite a lot of the women thought that was a good idea, but um, luckily they were a bit suspicious, which was a good idea because she went on to have six children. So um, she wasn't a great advert for natural birth control, was she? So, um, yes, and and the 70s, you know, there were a lot of... um, Children being born, so I didn't know if you, mm. you know, how many children you ended. So as as the seventies progressed, and you know, obviously there was, you know, coming up to the great seventy nine period, which was Margaret Thatcher getting in, and then the Tory government. Did you then sort of focus purely on sort of the the kind of the summer Albion fairs? Because at this stage, the Barsham fairs that was the last one in seventy six. Did did the Albion fairs become your thing? Sorry, can you say this again? I'm, I'm oh yes, I was just I was just saying that I'm losing your thread. <laughs> no, that's fine. It was probably a very wordy, badly wordy, worded question. I was saying that yes, as the seventies progressed, and there was seventy six, obviously the last Barsham Fair, and then the Albion Fairs. Was that your main focus for the next five years, doing uh, rituals yeah. and um, yeah. performances yeah. at the fairs, and did they but change also, much at that stage? Also travelling around just on our own, going to ancient sites, you know, and we did things at ancient sites. Um, but we we were being financed by the Arts Council for five years, and you know we had to say what. We, so we go and do things out on our own in the landscape and in in stone circles and. Um, document them, and then we'd have exhibitions. So, um, with with all, and we'd perform in the exhibitions. You know, we had two at the Acme Gallery in London, and then one at the Serpentine. Right. Um, 
and and lots of the you know a lot of the documentation of things we've done on our own out in the landscape were part of those exhibitions. Amazing. Um, yes. And did you ever organise any kind of festival or fairs at that stage? Well, it was, it was towards the end, um, the fairy fair. Um, I think we organised the. It was all part of sort of part of Albion. Um, yeah. I think too the the first the first fairy fair I was very much part of. And then, then I went off on my own. I sort of eighty-two. I, I think I booked all the performers, and then I went off on the first of my great landscape journeys. Um, I did go back to this, the second fairy fair and sort of did a performance with somebody else. Um, but uh, and then that that was my sort of end of that. Um, and I just went off and went off into my own life and my own work. Yes, this being the 80s. So then, was mm. this the point when you started travelling during the 80s? Did you, because you wrote a book as well, didn't you, at that, um, for your for your experience called, is it The Gypsy Switch? And um, yes, that came out. So when did you embark on that journey? Well, that came, well the first one was when I first wanted to come up here. I wanted to come to the Cullinish Stones up here. And I didn't, because I'd been, you know, I, I'd been drawn more and more and more. I, in my process of leaving Bruce, I'd been going off on my own to sort of places like Avebury and just spending nights there, sleeping out. I got into, I got to the point where I didn't like being indoor, in houses and I was just sleeping out without a tent. And um, so I'd go off and spend a few nights and days at an ancient site, Wayland Smithy and um, and then I went off on this first journey, which I called my awakening journey. So I, di- I didn't want to just sort of come up here as a tourist, you know. And no. so I made this great pilgrimage. So I started off down in Land's End uh, and, and made a journey up through sev- several um, ancient sites right throughout the body of the land. You know, I saw Britain as this sort of like goddess figure laying in the ocean. And I was sort of traveling up her body. Um, so when I came here, you know, it was like the the culmination of the the great journey. That was the first one, um, and then. But I was doing things. It, it was, it was. I sort of like left the art world, but I still. It was. This was still my art, you know. So the journeys became my art for a while, and I I started doing pastel drawings because I stopped taking photographs because I just wanted to experience everything absolutely directly. Yes. Um, so I started doing drawings to share with other people what I was experiencing at places, you know, so that became another art. And, and so I think that first one, I exhibited some drawings and some writings in a cafe in Norwich. Um, and, so, and then I went off on another one in 1983, um, up here again, and then up to Orkney, and sort of it was an, in, an entwined journey, um, and ended up at Greenham Common. <laughs> um, and... That one, I'd, I'd done a form of postal art while I was doing it. Um, I'd, I'd written postcards wherever I was and bought postcards or drew postcards and sent them to a friend of mine. And but I've, I've got them now. Yes. Um, and then, <laughs> and then, and then after I had Tully in 1984, then I, I mean, I met up some with some people who I, I sort of entwined my journey in 1983 with this walk from Baslane to Greenham Common called the Walk for Life. And um, all these people wanted to go on and do something else. And I suggested that somebody told me about the Gypsy Switch journey, 
years before and I knew it was something I wanted to do because I've been very, I mean, part of the performances at the fairs, you know, we quite often performed, um, celebrated a zodiac and we'd, uh, we'd done things at various um, terrestrial zodiacs. We'd done, we'd done four days around the um, Glastonbury zodiac and we'd done a, a year going to places in various St. Edmund's zodiac. And so I, I very much wanted to, to travel this for a whole year um, and I suggested it to people and it went through all the changes that I've written about in the book, you know. Um, yes. But it, it, it was funny, funny about writing because um, when I came to live here the first time, I was here for 10 years and then I went to live in Glastonbury for a bit and it was only when I was in Glastonbury that I'd been able to write about up here and then I came back here and then I was able to write the book about all the journeys and the gypsy switch, which are things I'd done not here. It's quite strange. Yes, it's, uh, I guess you had a bit of um, a distance and perspective on, on reflection on those kind of experiences being in a different environment. Did you... Um, did that feel initially a lonely time? Because obviously it sounds a bit like you left, you know, the home in Norfolk and also... You know your family and any stability—not stability, but certain sense of—I um, don't know what you had established and, and sort of a certain yeah. amount of um, yeah routine and and sort of the the what happens in daily life. How did you sort of manage to sort of navigate that one emotionally? Um, it was quite difficult um, because it was yes, it was giving up. It was giving up a whole way of life and. You know, it was a bit sad. I was sad to leave my daughters, um, but they had their home. I was just staying in someone's caravan for a long time. Um, and it took me a whole winter to kind of, you know, I felt as though my whole being had been blown apart. And um, I had to sort of put myself together again. And I, I, had, I could only do that by turning it into a journey. Um, so it meant that like every full moon and dark moon, I went off to a specific um, sacred site and I turned that into a journey. I think everything's been about journeys. And, but I survived and then, then I, I sort of went off and did this journey in 1983. And, but it was, I was very, I was so close to the earth and everything. I'm going, going off and, you know, I, had, I, I kind of wrapped myself up in plastic when it rained, but I was just sleeping out at places. And I felt just so in the loving arms of the earth, you know, I felt like the earth really genuinely was like my mother and I'd like nestled down and just felt so protected and looked after. So it was like I was so, so intensely with the land that it was like I wasn't, I wasn't lonely because that was what I was with. Yes. Um, that is interesting because, uh, yeah, I mean, some people I've met who've, who've got a very, have a very similar experience and can cope with mm-hmm the seasons including the winter and in in sort of the island lewis it does get very dark doesn't it for quite a few months of the year how did you cope when it was virtually getting light at 10 half 10 and then getting dark again at two because there's a small window of light up in that area i i would have um i wouldn't have coped (laughs) how did you how did you manage i mean when i first came up here that first year in 1982 um, I had no idea what this place was like. I mean, I was just wanting to go to the Stones. And, yeah, I actually came through Skye and over onto Harris. And I was going to meet some people. And I did a long walk there. But as I came off the ferry in Tarbot on Harris, I thought, oh, I've come home. 
And, I mean, I wasn't looking for a home. I, you know, it was only like I, I only just was realising I'd actually left the home that I got. But suddenly, and I just knew I got to live here. It was like this just, there wasn't any question about it, although it took a few years to make it happen. And, and you know, by the time I moved here, um, the first time, you know, I had my little boy with me. My, he was two-year-old. And... Um, I, I think actually the first winter, I it, it wasn't, and we lived without electricity for ten years, so it really was, it w really was experiencing the light and the dark. And that, I mean, that's the seasons up here, as far as I'm concerned. Really, is the, the light and dark. Yes. It wasn't really as dark as I expected it to be, you know. And it was the way of life then. It was like going over to Callanis and lots of other places at different times and celebrating a different sort of journey, going round different sites at specific um, times, you know, while we were up here. Um, but living in that house, I mean, you know, I had an open fire and sort of sitting by the fire and sort of cooking pancakes on the frying pan on the fire and reading. You know, I just read and read and read to my son, Tully. Mm -hmm. um, he, he used to say, it's like having a television in my head. <laughs> you know, because we had no telly. We listened to the radio a lot. Yes. Um, but it, it no, it wasn't. But then the bonus. I mean, now I find it a bit more difficult. I think and now that I'm living with electricity, when there's a power cut, it's it's you know it's like it's such a shock, and then you've got to adjust. You know, I mean that when I was living without electricity, that's the way of life. You know, and it was like you you do whatever you've got to do in the days of daylight, and you get everything ready for when it's going to be dark. You know, and we had oil lamps and candles. And um, it was just our way of it. It was quite it felt quite smug sometimes when there were, were power cuts then because we didn't have one, you know, because we hadn't got it. You know? <laughs> yes, actually, um, yeah. But, but now it's a bit of a shock. You know? It would be, um, yes, quite a shock. Yeah. Did you? I mean, but did the you? Bonus, the big, the big bonus, you see, is the light in the summer. You get through that winter, and I mean, the worst is like the rain and the wind. If you, if there are hurricanes, it's horrible. Um, but you know, then it's sort of middle of May. It's like it's not getting dark, and you've got two months where it's just twilight all night, and you know you can just do things on and on and on into the evening, and um, and that that is just so it so fills you with this great joy that it's kind of you know you've 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 got through the winter, and then this is your gift, you know, your, the bonus, and you've been yes. blessed with this wonderful summer. Did you feel that with with the with Lewis was that of all the places you? went to and visited was that the one place that really felt like home to you yes i mean it was like i say it was i actually landed on harris um but the whole of the western isles it was just yeah that was, i mean i've never quite had the sense i've i've loved a few houses that i've lived in but i never i never felt i belonged north london i tried to get out of that north london suburb as soon as i could and you know then lived in different places like in hackney and one near the uh, Holloway Road, and and then it, it got more and more difficult. We were, we were doing things outside of London, and it's hours and hours and hours in the traffic to get out of London if you're going anywhere, then hours and hours to get back. Yes. Um, so it had been lovely moving into Norfolk, where it was all more easy. But I don't know. And the place where I lived in Norfolk was, you know, I loved that place. I say I got into relationship with, you know, everything, like the earth and the sky and trees and everything. Um I'd never had this intensity of, of feeling of, of belonging to a place. I mean, you know, having lived here for 10 years and then it, for all sorts of reasons sort of then went to Glastonbury. Um, 
and then and never fitted in socially then i have a lot of sort of opportunities there work-wise but but then i was after about two years i was just desperate to get back here you know and, and i came back yes and i was welcomed it was lovely you know nice. people that i didn't remember sort of said oh you're back here now you know and, oh somebody sort of shook my head and said welcome home you know and it was it was lovely yes did you have any brothers or sisters or um any, no, any no, other family just me did, I said, was it just you that your parents had? Yes, oh my yeah, God. Did yeah. you ever, did you reflect on that kind of experience of being so young, sort of losing both parents at that age? I do now. Um, I mean, the, the thing was that um, my parents were never talked about at all. It was like a big secret. I mean, they both died of cancer. Um, and... So their memory wasn't kept alive for me, you know. Um, and I don't know, it was just when I was about 10, I had to kind of work it out and sort of almost confront my grandmother with it and saying, you know, are there, were there these two people who were my parents, you know. And it was a bit sad because I sort of said, well, they, are they dead? Or have they gone to live in America and you're looking after me until they come back, you know, which is very sad. Yes. Um, but then because I'd been not not brought up with any sort of awareness of them. It was like they weren't very important. Um, and, I mean, I've even let lots of, you know, possessions go that belonged to them that I, I kind of wish I had now. I think it was honestly until I got... I was about 50, and something happened to me then. I suddenly started missing my mother desperately. Yes. And, and I think now I really contemplate, and I think how how different would life have been if I'd grown up with my parents. And... Um, I don't know. I was a funny child. I don't think I was very nice as a child, <laughs> you know. And um, you know, I mean, how much of all that? What was I working out? You know, not not knowing. You know, was there a level at which I felt abandoned? I, I don't know. You know. Um, but it's like I, I think a lot about that now, and I think about my parents a lot now. You know, and I'm missing them a lot. I miss my mother now. You know. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, it must have been. Obviously, for them, knowing what was happening, especially during that period when there wasn't much medical care and, you know, no. if someone had cancer, mm -hmm. that was kind of pretty much going to be yeah. it. There was and no... it, was like, it was like something, was, it was like, they, well, they called it the big C, didn't they? And it was something, it was like something awful. I don't know why, but it was like, it was like, not like having something else wrong with you somehow. It was like something terrible that you didn't talk about and... Yes. I don't know. It was it very was, it seems strange now. You know, it's but. it's like you might have a fighting chance now, but um, back then it was um, it wasn't good. And that yeah, that must be. I mean, for them, just knowing that you know having to make that arrangement with your grandparents when they realised it wasn't was going to be terminal must have been quite. Um, yeah, must have been a big moment for them, actually, leaving their daughter to, um, yes, be in the world on on her own. So, um, yeah, I'm not surprised, really, you now think about them. So, I'm sorry, it's a bit of a downer there. Um, so, yeah, so then in 87, a great year for many reasons, but yes, there's me, I come, we come and visit to, we come to Cavendish, where, right. to, yeah. to the, yeah. the Stone Circle, which is quite a long way in a Ford Fiesta 1.1. 1 .1. 
with only four gears. Um, and yeah, we stayed with you. And then we saw the moon and got very kind of right. all the sun, wasn't yeah. it? I think. Yeah. So at that stage. Well, the moon, the moon being that it was the birth of the new 19 year circle, the moon being born out of the body of the Sleeping Beauty mountain. Yeah. Right. So, yes, that was, yeah, I was quite young. I probably didn't appreciate that moment really. I'd, uh, I was still, I was still recovering after and then seeing Neil Orham. Circle, yeah. yeah, but it was so obviously by the, the late 80s, you were very ensconced. So when I know you probably mentioned it, but when did you then move out of uh, or move on to Glastonbury? What was that next journey for you? Uh, that was 1996. Right. Yeah. So, so that was yeah. it, really. So, yeah, so all, all the time I was here, I was doing lots and lots. Because I, I, did you visit my house? Did you yes, house? we stayed there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, right. it's all a bit of a blur, actually. And I do, right. and I do remember, you know, the, a small child. And um, mm. But like I said, it's, I'll have to use my fingers. But that, it, was, uh, that was over 30-plus years ago, wasn't it? So, yeah. um, 36. So, uh, yeah, so there, there was that and lots going on, really. Yeah, so yeah. obviously... Yeah, the, the, I, I, mean, do I, rem- I do. I do remember because that was October time, and I remember being quite amazed oh, right. with the. So that was after. I mean, the big, the big thing with the moon was in June. Was it? Right. Yeah. No, this was yeah. this was definitely yeah. autumn because I remember being pretty struck right. by the the sky, and I think there was like glimmers of the northern lights, and it was all right. very yeah. extraordinary uh-huh. expanse. But it was also yeah. there was a sort of brutalness to the winters. I I felt that. I would have died if I stayed there too long. <laughs> it was I wasn't I wasn't made for sort of nature really. I love nature, but yeah. it just hates me really. Um, so yeah. So then obviously yes, you, you're your child. But then what made you want to go to Glastonbury? Because let's face it, Glastonbury is a bit of a freak show, isn't it? Full of over yeah, overindulgent it's, hippies. Probably it's more so now. I mean, I'd. Um... I mean, hey, what I just want to say that, like, while those ten years I was in Glover in South Locks um, up here, um, I had I was in a ex Church of Scotland uh, mission house and hall, so I had this big hall, and so I had exhibitions every year of my work, um, and I wrote a lot of poetry, and I started going round, coming down to England and travelling around doing slideshows, sort of you know, performing my poetry with the slides of my artwork behind me. So that's what I was doing for a lot of that 10 years. And, I mean, Glastonbury, I knew people there. And quite often on journeys, I'd stop there. And it was, it was um, I don't know, it, it was like a place where if I, if I set off on a journey and then I, then I came sort of back to, I stopped in Glastonbury and it was like, it was a way of collecting my thoughts. And sort of um, and being and sort of saying, what am I doing on this journey before I then set off again? And so it's a bit like it must have been what happened in life. I mean, I think because I knew people there, I couldn't really sort of think of, I couldn't think about coming back to East Anglia at that point. Mm. And I just thought, you know, there, there, were, there, were, there were no opportunities. It's like everything had sort of come to a bit of a halt up here. And I felt that there was an opportunity to do things um, in Glastonbury, and you know, I got very involved with the Goddess Conference, and I used to um, sort of exhibit my work. And there were lots of places you could hire, and I had lots of exhibitions. I did these slideshows, and, um, and I wrote the two books. So it was like I didn't, I didn't sort of get on very well with people socially. You know, I was never part of any group. It was a bit cliquey, 
um, I thought that we, that both my son and I would fit into, um, you know, some we find some sort of like-minded people. But somehow, um, I don't know, we were just both a bit on the outside of it. But I did, there was lots of work opportunities. And when, when, when we lived up here, I'd home-educated him. Yes. Um, but then when we went to Glastonbury, then he went to school. And then, so it was a lot of that time with him then going to further education and then going on to higher education. Um, yeah. So that, that was a kind of a lot of, you know, I was kind of supporting him a lot in what he was doing. Yeah, well, absolutely. I suppose he would have gone, he'd been in his teenage years. So were the two books that you'd done at that stage, was that the the Mother of the Isles? Mother uh, of the Isles and the Calanist Dance. Right. My God, you were you were very prolific at this point. All your books are now in print again, aren't they? They might have always been in print, actually. They were what sort of? All your books are now available from your website, aren't they? Yes, yes, sort of from me. Yes, yes so that's good. Yes. And then or, or from my daughter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who's yes, a one one person Amazon storm really. But um, then, did, so what made you leave Glastonbury at this stage and go back to um, the the Isle of Lewis? Um, I suppose you know, it, desperate to get back home. <laughs> I mean, I loved the house that we had there, and we could have gone on living there. But it's like my son; he, um, I mean, he got a degree. Um, but then he was having difficulty finding work. Um, I mean, he, you know, we didn't have a car. Um, he didn't drive. He didn't have a car. And um, we sort of decided it was probably, you know, best for him to go and live in Norwich. Um, I mean, at the time, uh, I had well, I had two daughters living in Norwich at that time. And, you know, and he found a job straight away. And, you know, and he's lived there ever since. And he's got two little boys now. Um, and once once I wasn't kind of, you know, um, once he wasn't there and I wasn't kind of, my life wasn't part of kind of, you know, supporting him, um, it was kind of, oh, I've got to go home. <laughs> and so I came back here. <laughs> yes. And then how, what did you then focus on for the sort of, from the millennium onwards? Because I noticed you'd been in doing various kind of, exhibitions and performances of some description yes i mean i mean it was carrying on doing all these uh, around about the millennium time doing doing these um little ex- well, exhibitions and doing the slideshows and everything and when i came back here um I mean, I got into, I sort of carried on, I carried on doing artwork, and then I, it was a big, big thing for me to write the Dipsy Switch book. I mean, that took several years of what I was doing, and, and I got back into going to the, you know, going around all the special places at special times of year. Um, and then sort of once the book um, was published, I then, a sort of way of promoting it, um, and I, I used to do slideshows with 35 millimeter slides, you know, and a carousel. Um, but I found now that nobody has them, you know, because I used to go to places and can you just get me a projector, you know? Yes. Um, but now, but I have to get, I've got a, a lovely neighbour who does PowerPoint um, things <laughs> for me. So yes. I, I just go around with a, a memory stick with a PowerPoint on it. And so I do these long talks with like, you know, loads and loads of illustrations of everything I've done and everything everything I'm doing now. And then, um, I mean, the the... I, I've done everything. I, I say I just I, I gave up on the art world, really. You know, I was doing everything. It was my art. Everything I've done has been art. Yes. But um, 
you know, and I, I, a lot of people don't, this is whole thing about art, that some people say that if you haven't been to art school and all your, you haven't learned about the history of art and your work hasn't evolved from the history of art, then you're not an artist. Um, but it's like years ago, um, right back when I was, you know, um, we're going back now to what, sort of 1980, well, 1980 to 83, there was a lovely woman called Jan Dungey who's died some years ago now. And she was she was a wonderful performer, but she did fantastic things for women. And she had, like, run workshops. And she got this place um, in Norwich, it was like a women's centre, and put on this exhibition called Arting About, and all these women did, and they weren't artists, you know, and all produced this fantastic work. And so they, there was this wonderful exhibition. And, I mean, I had a little um, sort of space under some stairs, which I turned into a cave, and I had all stuff about my journey, that winter journey I'd done. Um, but it was like realising how, you know, the art world has been so male-orientated and and how a lot of things that women do, even in their, their own lives, you know, even how you arrange things on a windowsill, you know, is art. And um, I think that gave me a lot of, um, well, it's not courage, but the sense that I am an artist and I will, you know, um, I don't, the fact that I didn't go to art school doesn't mean I'm not an artist and I am an artist, you know. Yes. Um, and that's one of the things I talk about a bit in my, um, you know, uh, my slideshows. I, know, I mean, a wonderful thing that's happened. Well, I think now a lot of women is that I, I fell into this situation where I say I was I was with Bruce, and then I mean when we were doing the the, the ritual performance, it was, it was very much my work, you know. Um, and I think people at the fairs at the time realised, but this when I, when I went. It was like I kind of got written out of the story, you know. Um, so I just carried on with my my life. And then a few years ago, um, the fruit market in Edinburgh, um, which is a, like an art centre, um, they invited five poets um, to produce work. Um, but like the fruit market was being extended and it was like a relaunch. And this one um, poet, um, Jane Goldman, she was she was working with the fruit market archive, and uh, she discovered in the archive um, an entry from 1975 that said um, the manifestations of the obsessions and fantasies of Bruce Lacey and Jill Bruce is a one-man show by Bruce Lacey, and it was like this is whole thing. I think a lot of women who worked with sort of acknowledged male artists and writers are now getting acknowledged as you know have been artists and writers in their in their own right um and sort of jane kind of rediscovered me you know and it's like i've sort of come back into the the art world now because they, they then got me she wrote a wonderful poem that was all about a lot about sort of women and people who are, have been you know kind of forgotten um and then it was a lot about me and she, she'd read my books and she sort of took bits out of this all the books, you know, little quotes, and created this um, poem that was like, you know, she told my life story better than I could, you know, in a few pages. Um, and so I went to the fruit market and did a performance there and did my slideshow, and now um, they've, they're having their 50th um, anniversary next year, and so they've asked me to do this project for a whole year, 
um, which is celebrating the zodiac, um, going to a different place up here that means a lot to me, um, and performing something um, that is a celebration, my own personal celebration of each zodiac sign throughout the year. Um, Yes. God, that's yeah. No, I was just looking at the website. It's quite intense, isn't it? Really, and um, quite. It's quite. It's an interesting thing about um, almost being written out of history, isn't it? In the sense of, for two reasons. A, you know, we live in a very male-dominated world, and also um, when you when you're the person who appears to have walked away, and the other person takes all the Mm. kind of accolade and glory. They kind of yeah. not rewrite history, but it's written in a way that's it's the other people who it wouldn't have happened without all the other people who contributed so much. Mm. And I think nowadays, in the last few years, I've noticed people are beginning to sort of explore some of these things that happened in the last 50 or 60 years and realize mm. um, because mostly the women have been risen out of a lot of stories. You know, we're not talking about business, we're talking about art and culture and music and and all sorts of things that um yeah it's 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 one of those not embarrassing but it's slightly it's slightly embarrassing let's face it you know that mm-hmm. how quickly we're happy to sort of say oh that was all because you know it was in your case it was all about bruce wasn't it and very little about you you were you almost appeared as the person who just was there helping bruce but it wasn't an equal relationship in terms of art mm. Which is tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. It's because it didn't help because I changed my name back to my birth name. <laughs> People who knew me as Jill Bruce um, don't know who Jill Smith is, you know. <laughs> no, this is true. But, but, I mean, it is, I mean, it's strange, like I say, that for all those years, um, I mean, that's like a, right from the early 70s, well, say for almost 10 years, but certainly all the times we were doing those sort of performances, you know, my, my costume making was my... Um, I mean, it's part of the ritual, but it was also, you know, my my artwork then, uh, apart from the performances. And um, it was only a couple of years ago, by accident, um, I think my son, Kevin, was um, interviewed um, uh, about, it was a whole program about Bruce. And um, and he he sort of was telling me about this, and, you know, he, he stuck up for me. <laughs> um but he he found that um, the Castle Museum in Norwich had bought quite a lot of um, Bruce's things, and some of them were costumes. And so I had to get onto these the Castle Museum and establish that these costumes were not costumes that had been made by Bruce; <laughs> they were costumes that had been made by me. You know, and so this is the sort of thing that's going on. It was like I might not have discovered that. You know. Yes. Um, so, you know, and I think this is still happening to a lot of women, I think, you know. This is true. Um, I know. Suddenly people thought he was a great dress costume maker and probably couldn't even thread a needle, cotton through a needle, could he? But, um, yes, it's the injustice of life. There you go. Talking of um, costumes, did you, Andrew Andrew Logan, his alternative Miss World, you've, you've appeared as a judge on that in the last couple of years, haven't you? Um, I did, yes, because um, when he started doing those um, way, way back, I was I was actually in the first five, um, and this was, you know, partly my, my costume making. <laughs> um, so that was wonderful. When he started, you know, he started them in his studio, and then gradually, the, you know, the venues got bigger and bigger and more and more glorious. Um, 
I think, what was the last one I did? Because uh, you can see me in some of the films. Um, yeah, so that was very nice. When he was having his 50th um, anniversary of the alternative Miss World, he asked me to be a judge. That was, that was, that was fun. Yes, it must have been. Was that down in London, the show? Yes. Yeah. Right. My goodness, that yeah. must have been quite exciting to see so many different people. And that, again, is on your... Um, you, yes, your website. I mean, if you could have whispered something to your 16-year-old self starting out, right. um, is there anything with all the years, wisdom, experiences you've had that you would have said, oh, there are a few things I'd just recommend, even if that 16-year-old would have ignored you? But I just wondered if there was any top top tips and advice that you might have mentioned. Yes, I know people get asked this, don't I? Uh, don't they? <laughs> um, I think it was my 13-year-old self, because I I did go through, it was a big change. I think up until I was 13, I think I went along with what my grandparents wanted. I mean, you know, in those days when you were a girl, you just, you, you learned to be a secretary, you learned shorthand, and then you worked as a secretary and you, until you met a nice man and you got married and then you were housewife. <laughs> and when I was 13, this is when I first, I saw Laurence Olivier and Richard III. And it was like, oh my God, you know, this sort of inkling, this thing. I mean, from when I was four, I wanted to perform in some way, you know. Um, and it, no, I'm not going to do what other people tell me to, you know, I want to be an actress, I'm going to be an actress. And I, I feel that, I don't know, there are times in my life when I felt I haven't fulfilled the ambitions that that 13-year-old had. But, you know, my life has unfolded the way it has, and it's very difficult to actually regret anything you've done. I mean, I, I've done some amazing things. Um, and and now it's all sort of, things are sort of coming back. It's like I've been rediscovered, you know, and um, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, uh, I can't, I, I can't really think what I would advise her. I would just say, like, keep going and keep going, and you know, do what you want to do, and and see what see what comes, you know, what turns up. And, yeah, I haven't really got any any wisdom for her. Just to keep going, believe in yourself. Yes, and God, what um, you want to do, what you feel we have to, you know. I mean, most of the things I've done since have just been what I feel I have to do. It hasn't been a lot of sort of decision making. Oh, I've got to do that, you know, and I've gone and done it, and you know. So I, I just, you know, stick your guns, girl. It might not work out. Thirteen year old. It might not work out the way you thought. You know, I thought I was going to go into rap, and then I was going to become a famous Shakespearean actress. But never mind, you know, something else will happen and that'll be good. Yes, absolutely. Well, yes, if you know in that life, you know, so far, you've you've had a lot of different yeah. experiences and the world's changed a huge amount. What do you have um sort of planned for the end of this year and any projects for twenty twenty four coming up? Do you have anything kind of Well, I'm Yeah, I mean I'm doing this um zodiac journey. So every zodiac sign, I'm going to somewhere. So this is this is going to take me up until August next year. Um, there's a, a, a wonderful photographer called Mari Law who's documenting it. And then each time we do one, one of her photographs, and I write a diary about it, that goes to the fruit market in Edinburgh, and that goes on their website um, and on Facebook. Um, 
And then when it's complete, um, I'm going to do one sort of celebration um, at uh, the fruit market. Um, it might be a kind of picnic. I've also had this thread going through my life as um, picnics is an art form. Um, and then I think they're hoping um, to turn it into a book, you know, with Morris photographs and my writings. Um, I'm hoping that's going to be a book. Yes. Um, I can't. It's so all-consuming. I haven't really got any um, any any plans after that. No. Um, it's quite a. That's quite. There's, a other, there's some some things that I've done in the past that I'd like to turn into something a bit more that I can present publicly a bit more. Um, so I'm just thinking about that yesterday. Have you managed um, to archive your all your work? Okay, and sort of keep you know keep copies or manage to sort of document it in yeah, some way. Difficult. Cause I mean, I haven't got much of all the stuff I did with Bruce. I mean, fortunately, there was quite a long time ago, um, he did give me a lot of slides. They're kind of all the ones that I'm in and a few projects that I'd done that were my own in those days. Um, but there are a lot of things, just like a lot of slides here. And, um, you know, I've just got lots of folders with photographs in and it's really difficult to think... You know, I put things. I've got a little archive page <laughs> on my my website, um, but I've just it's something I'm thinking of now. You know, there was there was one like living in Norfolk. There was one year that I photographed every sunrise because living where we were, where it was very flat. You know, I was just watching the sun rising. You know, getting further and further to the north, then further and further to the south, you know, and um, we did, I did have prints done, they were done on um, slide film, and, but I did have prints made, and I exhibited that in the Norwich School of Art um, gallery, and I mean, that was, that was way back, you know, um, when we were still living there, and, and I had to get rid of them at some point when they'd all become too sort of buckled, but I still got the slides, and it was only yesterday I was talking to a neighbour and thinking, you know, I ought to have all these digitised and I mean, this is the problem of having everything digitised, you know, and turn that, you know, maybe somebody could turn that into a wonderful film. Yes. Because um, that was a wonderful, wonderful artwork. And then, then the last thing that Bruce and I did together was he filmed me um, four times in a year doing things, ceremonies at Avebury. And then we never edited it and never turned it into a film. And so I've got these, I just counted 13 little Super 8 films that need to be digitised. And then I've got to work with someone and edit them. And it seems, you know, that should be turned into a film because it seems like I'm, I'm now doing this Zodiac journey. And that's like a year's journey that I did, um, you know, in, that would have been in 1981, 82. Um, and it's all kind of part, and I, I really, you know, while, while I'm, it's, it's got to be edited while I'm here. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Only, if only me knows how it all, how it all fits <laughs> together, you know. So I was just thinking, I really want to get this done. This is my archive, you know. Yeah, yeah. and also, I mean, <clears throat> on a slightly different, I did an interview with a photographer a few years ago. He brought a book out and called Bob Mazza. And um, and it was a photograph of uh, some, of uh, it wasn't at a, it was at a fair, but it was actually some people down by the river of a festival. And when we were talking, he said, "Oh, I've got this amazing picture of Jill and Bruce. I'll send it to you." And he sent it to me. And um, I should I need to send it to you actually because it's an absolutely oh. beautiful photograph. And when you see it, I hope you'll be able to 
open it and access it. I'll do it as soon as I've done this, actually. Um, because it is, it's quite stunning. You do have a very Ziggy Stardust look to you. Um, well, you're, you're sort of in silver, basically. Um, <laughs> but it's very good. And uh, you'll, when you see the perspective of it, you'll go, oh, that's very groovy. But um, yes, we'll, oh. we'll have to send that to you. But you've probably never seen this picture, have you? So, um, right, uh-huh, yeah. But you, you have merry. got a lot of silver on your face and um, a teepee right. behind you, so... Um, there you go. Uh-huh. So that sounds, I mean, you know, slightly sidetracked. But it does sound like you're, you're sort of managing to complete all your work and, and sort of continually make new work, which is quite stunning as, as we truck on to our, I don't know, older age. Sorry, can you say that again? I said, you're, it sounds like you're managing to sort of uh, archive your old work while making sort of new work and as yeah, we as we're yeah. getting slightly older it sounds like yeah. you've um you've got into a very good place both emotionally yeah. and spiritually yeah i mean the nice thing about these um zodiac things that i'm doing is it's bringing lots of threads in my life together um i didn't want to make costumes but i've dyed some sort of outfits i wear like like leotards and leggings and I've dyed some cloth, so getting back to the, the tie and dye I used to do and sewing dye that I used to do when I was making costumes before. Um, but it's like, and there's lots of objects that I'm bringing in that have been parts of old performances and lots of objects that have, have been part of recent things that I've done where I've just been on my own. And then there's sort of, you know, things to do with the family and then like new things I've never, you know, some of the places are inspiring me to do things I've never done before. So it's a wonderful mixture of like, I mean, this feels like a, I don't know, yeah, it's like partly archive, partly new. So it's, it's, I'm really enjoying this. Yes, absolutely. And I don't know what comes next, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think from the sort of generation you come from, everyone seems to have got an amazing amount of energy. I was just thinking of people like the Rolling Stones and Mick right. Jagger, and people do seem to have still got that kind of lust for life, really, to, um, yeah. yes, to, to do that. And do, you, and do you have any plans to visit Norfolk and do any um, events in this kind of region at all? Yeah, well, I'm always, I'm always being coming down because I visit family, um, so I'm down quite a lot. And as I've now, because I sort of established um, something with the um, Norwich Castle Museum, um, I, don't, I know they're working on something. Um, why they got the, the costumes was because they're working on something about, um, you know, that, or what was it called? I can't think what it's called. You know, this sort of alternative thing in, in the 1970s. Oh, the kind of the... The Barsham Fairs and Albion Fairs thing. Do you mean that? Well, yes, that's that whole that whole culture. What was it called? Counter counterculture. Counterculture. You know, of, yes. Of, so it's like oh, they're trying to get gather loads of sort of artifacts and things about that era. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that when I've got this, um, that maybe you know the following year, I don't know, later next year or the following year, that I'll actually come um, like with them or through them. I'll do one of my slideshows and talks. You know, it's about it's like. It's very rich, you know. It's about two hours long, and it's about everything, and it's like so so well illustrated, you know. 
Um, so I hope I'll do that. So that you know, that'll be something I hope I'll do in Norwich. Yes, absolutely. Well, that'll be amazing. I'm so pleased you managed to get all your sort of um, being, being credited for the work that you did back in the 70s, which um, mm-hmm. and 80s. Because that's always, um, yes, it's nice to just put things right anyway. So that's all good. But look, Jill, thank you ever so much for your time. This has been amazing. Okay. And, and um, yes, and if you want, I can always send you a link and you can always put it on your Facebook page. And oh, right, yeah, our yeah. website, you can always put this. Um, yeah. And then, then people can listen and go, oh, that's amazing. What pity about the person interviewing her, but never mind. That's fine. <laughs> but that's been great. Well, thank you for your time. It's been brilliant. And I'll send you this brilliant picture as well. Um, okay, wonderful. I hope, and like I said, I hope it loads, actually. That's the one thing. But um, we'll see. But look, thank you. And have a lovely, is it, just just because I love talking about the weather, it's five o'clock here. It's still quite light. Is it quite light? It's is still it? quite light. Yes, the sun's gone behind my neighbour's house, but it's still still very light, yes. It's, it's about another hour, I think, before the sunset. God, I think. Well, thank you very much for asking me. It's you know, nice it's brilliant. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, well, thank you ever so much. And look, fond memories of yeah. eighty-seven. Yeah. That's what we say. Okay, yeah. take care, and okay. thanks again. Right. Take care. See you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. And that, dear listener, just in case you didn't guess, it's the end of the interview. Marvelous. Anyway, a massive thank you to Jill Smith for giving me the time for that. If you want to go to her website, I will put it in the link below. But it is Jill Smith dot co.uk and the book which um, has been mentioned the gypsy switch and other ritual journeys is available from her um, website so do check that out and uh, yes just have a look around the other bits and pieces that she's doing this has been the c86 show david eastall if you want to contact me you can on facebook twitter instagram just do c86 show you'll find me keep it nice positive and groovy otherwise don't bother and all these interviews that i've done Yes, indeed, there's one or two. You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.